Hi, and welcome to Serious About Sustainability, the podcast series brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric's Ikadan, air source heat pump. I'm Russell Dean from Ikadan, and you're listening to a series of podcasts all about renewable home heating. We'll be covering a range of topics from the perspective of UK homeowners, self-builders, contractors, house builders, and housing associations. Our show today is called Sustainable Homes, Building the Future. My guests are George Clark, architects and Ikadan ambassador, Stephen Kelso, Carla Homes Group Product Design Manager, plus the co-chair of the Technical Forum for Homes for Scotland. And my long-term colleague, Martin Fari, Head of Sustainability here at Mitsubishi Electric. Welcome, everyone. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Stephen, if I can start with you first, tell us a little bit about your role at Carla Homes and Homes for Scotland. Yes, thanks, Russell. Thanks for, for inviting me today. Um, my role with Cala Homes is a group position. So I've got oversight over the three regions in Scotland and we've got five regions down in England as well. So we look at all our standard housing products, specifications, what we're looking at in the future, looking at regulations and such like, which really ties back to what I do for Homes for Scotland as well. Um, with the technical forum, meeting up with our peers in the industry and such like to really drive back to the Scottish government on what we are looking to do as developers to try and hopefully collaboratively do things the right way moving forward. Mm-hmm. And that that engagement with the Homes for Scotland, is that is that intrinsic to your role? Is that is that such a key part of what you do? It, it's not so much a key part of what I do at Cala. It's a, a, an overview from a, an industry perspective that Cala affords me the capabilities to, to look at and it really drives Cala as a business to be at the forefront of you know what we're doing moving forward. And certainly in Scotland, more so than, than perhaps in England, is that most developers kind of look towards Cal as the more prestigious builder, what they are doing, you know, and most look at us and try and copy what we're what we're doing moving forward. Interesting. I've always I've been working on sustainability for for what eighteen years now, and ever since I've worked on sustainability, I've always been aware that the standards in Scotland have always been higher than England. How high are they at present and what's that scope look like? To to give a bit of an overview, the regulations in England have just changed in June this year. Um, That was a 31% over where they were previously. In Scotland, um, the regulations are changing in December this year and that's a 32% overage. But the baselines were different. Mm -hmm. So where England is at now is roughly where Scotland was in the 2015 change in regulations. Um, so we're taking the next step forward, which is reducing our thermal um, wall U values and such like, um, making them more thermally efficient, reducing our heat losses. Um, not quite at this stage pushing down the f- uh, fossil-free uh, fuel route, mm-hmm. but it will affect quite a few developers to make them go down that route ahead of regulation. And indeed, that's what Cal are looking to do, certainly in Scotland. Are you able to talk about what Carla are doing on that, looking at the at the standards and, and that improvement? Yes. I mean, across the board, Carla have set um, from the 1st of January 24 that all new developments coming forward will be, um, you know, full electric off fossil fuels. There is a lot of challenges around that in terms of the infrastructure that's required for it, the supply chain as well, the education, our subcontractors, our customer education base and such like. And we've suffered from that 
suffers maybe the wrong word, but um, we've been on that journey since 2015 when we looked at uh, the hybrid era of heat pumps. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit like the the hybrid car, you know, it's a step change towards where we want to go, but the, the knowledge base at that time was quite limited. Mm-hmm. Um, it's come on leaps and bounds since then, but I don't think that we're quite in the, the position that we could go and flip the switch and move everybody to heat pumps tomorrow, but it's a, it's a journey that we're on. So you saw... Um, hybrid heat pumps as a, as a stepping stone to, to fully electric. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think you learnt from that from that stepping stone of hybrid heat pumps? What, what key key things did you learn? There's quite a mindset change, um, both from our subcontractors and ultimately our customers. Um, unfortunately, the the way EPC ratings are done, um, they're more based on cost of energy as opposed to the type of energy. So to put things into context, we would be building houses with gas and putting photovoltaic panels on the roof and getting an aerated house. But when you use the hybrid and in the future using the standalone air source, you'd end up with a B or potentially a C rated house. So it kind of conflicts the kind of the model objective of, you know, moving away from fossil fuels and reducing our um, operational carbon elements and such like. Um, And it's trying to educate the customers in such a way, but... Obviously, we've got the the kind of energy fuel crisis at the moment as well, which is compounding things um, in terms of the gas and electric. Hopefully, there's a an EPC reform coming, um, which is going to look at the the carbon element um, as well as the cost element. And I know the the new SAP calculation tool that's coming out, which determines what it is that uh, we do from our fabric heat loss and solutions. Um, once that comes through to um, finalisation later on this year for Scotland, we'll define exactly the solutions that we can do. But I think we've got to be flexible about our solutions moving forward. It's not just gas and electric. We've got to look at alternatives. And a lot of that is down to infrastructure as well. Um, I've been involved. I sit on the stakeholder panel for both Scottish Power Energy Networks and Scottish and Southern Energy. Um, So I've been quite instrumental now that I'm in there to try and help them understand from a new build perspective what is the requirements moving forward in terms of going all electric Um, and they're constrained with what's physically in the ground to what they can generate so moving forward I don't think there's one solution that you can really hang your hat on that is going to you know be uh, feasible for every site moving forward and that's quite a challenge for new build developers because we're probably set in our ways that we, we get a solution we stick with it um, so it's about an education process with that regard as well, and um, now I've, I've again afforded that from Cala to you know to be involved in these. We're really kind of head heading towards a, a more collaborative future, which has never really been done in new build housing before. I think you're spot on. I think it. We were talking about this earlier before we started that collaboration is key. Um, there's not one solution is the silver bullet to fix this and therefore it's a combination of technologies, strategies um, and collaborating unlike, unlike looking at what you're doing, reaching further than just building houses into the power company so you can kind of start those discussions earlier in the process that when you actually get to build the houses, everything's ready to ready to go. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's the whole journey, the full life cycle of, you know, the project from putting the spade in the ground to moving the customer in and, and how they live in the house afterwards because they've still got their health and well-being aspects to take consideration of as well. 
So we could make the house as thermally efficient, as airtight as we can to, you know, reduce the need for heating. But actually, how do they live in the house? You know, they've still got to be able to breathe properly, you know, within the house. So we've got to ventilate the house properly. And, you know, it's it's the rounded approach that we've got to take now. And, you know, there's a lot more to take cognizance of, you know, the further in the future that we go. So, Stephen, as, as of 15th of June this year, all new homes must produce 31% less CO2 emissions than previously acceptable, and that's all under the, the Part L regulations. What impact has, has that had on, on Carla Homes? And It's been quite a jump to get to the 31% from where we were previously. Um, that's involved a slightly different mindset. Certainly within Cala, we're looking at more timber frame developments that, that help us reduce that you know uh, emissions target um, by basically increasing our thermal values of our walls. So they've reduced quite significantly. Um, they're probably akin now to where we currently sit in Scotland. So we are um, fairly understandable of, you know, the U-value targets that we need to meet, which has been good from a, an English perspective. There's a lot of learning there that's been done in Scotland that does help that. But probably one of the key things that's come in with the, the, the change to the regulations that came in in June was a 12-month transitionary period, which is um, basically any warrant that's been granted or any building that's been built um, prior to June has got 12 months after the 12 months on a plot basis, not a site basis, that needs to be done to the new regulations come 2023. So every building that has not got a foundation in the ground from June 2023 needs to be built to the regulation change in June 2022. That's quite a significant change to the regulations. So that really shortens the window now of, it, of construction. It does, yeah. it does. And I know Wales has just changed their two-year transitionary period to the 12 months as well. Mm-hmm. Scotland still sits on a three-year transition. Mm-hmm. Um, so when our regs come in on the 1st of December 22, essentially we've got three years from that pe- that point of um, building warrant approval to build out a development to those regulations. Um, as Cal, I don't think we'll be going as far as that. Um, we'll be going ahead of regulation for that change. Um, but that's, you know, the significant change with the, the, the change in June, um, the thermal values coming down in the transitionary period. That links back closely to where we were in 2015 with Scotland. We've got different solutions. So we've got a gas and PV solution and we've also got a heat pump solution that is going to be available. Um, what we're not going to do in England is do the hybrid solution it'll just be a straight-to-standalone heat pump solution mm-hmm. because we're much further down the road in the learning that we've gained from what we've done in Scotland. Mm-hmm. So it has been beneficial that we've got that kind of knowledge behind us for it. So that so the heat pump technology is going to form a big part of, of, of your transition there under the part health regulations? It will moving forward, yeah, definitely, yes. And have you, have you been able to quantify that, you know, that one change, as it were, you know, putting in an air source heat pump as opposed to and then cut the incumbent technology gets you this far down the line. It, it does. SAP's been a bit of a bone of contention for us. That's the, the, the calculation software that we use to determine solutions and, and fabric values and, and how that presents itself with your EPC certificate. Um, so it's 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 been a journey. We're still on that journey with SAP. Um, it's just been finalised in England, but there's still some niggles with the SAP software. But on the whole, the heat pump does a much better job than obviously a gas solution. Um, it was more fundamental in the Scottish regulations under the old SAP that you know we would get a gas PV solution, but you could manipulate the number of PV panels to just gain a pass. Um, whereas a heat pump, you'd get between 
20, 25%, 30% pass, depending on the house type. Right. So it was significant under the old SAP. Now, obviously, they're changing the SAP now to regulate the fuel tables. So it does change the parameters slightly, mm-hmm. but the, the heat pump solution is one of the, the better solutions that are out there. Yeah, I was going to jump in. That's all right. Um, I think it's quite interesting because we're in like a period of transition, really. I think, you know, there's so much... There's so much written about, you know, the kind of the emergency crisis, the climate crisis, um, cost of living crisis. All of these things are are staggeringly important. But you've got to remember, like, in the 1970s, we were building houses that didn't even have insulation in them. You know, they were, we were just kind of building new built houses with cavity walls in them. I mean, my mum's house was built in 1968. It had a cavity wall and they thought that was innovative. And they thought that was being green. And they thought that air was a good insulator, just having that air gap. And I think when you look back over history, when you've got like the Industrial Revolution, it didn't just happen over a 10, 15, 20 year period. It was a kind of 40, 50 year period before it really kicked in. You look at uh, software and computers, you know, that those developments were starting to be made really just after the war, you know, kind of cold breaking, very early computers in the 40s and 50s and 60s. And you could argue that none of that technology really kicked in and made a massive difference to us until, well, probably only about 15, 20 years ago. You could even say 2007 when the smartphone came around from iPhone. So, you know, I've written lots of blogs, as you know, for Mitsubishi and EcoDan and Airsource heat pumps. And I've always been quite critical of, of the government not moving fast enough. But in some ways, we are in this period of transition and it's going to take a little bit of time. And it is about collaborating. It is about changing the mindset and doing things in a very different way. You know, if someone talked about just building a, an uninsulated structure today, we would think they were absolutely crazy. But it was only 40, 50 years ago we were doing it. So... I, th- I think on the one hand, we can knock the industry saying it takes a long time to change. But I think this isn't just about housing. This is about everything. This is about how we generate power. You know, this is about how we use power, trying to minimise waste. And you look at things like wind farms, particularly in Scotland, amazing. I mean, we are, we're building some of the best wind farms in the world at the minute. Really, really innovative. And you can argue that's relatively new technology, to be honest with you. And we've really upscaled that. So... I think you've got to see it in that historical context when you're making a big revolutionary change, which isn't just about housing, it's about everything. I mean, we're talking about everything to do with being either low carbon or zero carbon, the way we make things, the way we use things, where we manufacture things, even down to where we get the materials from, about how things are built. You know, those conversations now are completely different to what they were 10, 15 years ago. I think... um I was having a conversation with with some colleagues the other day and it's carbon has to be considered in every decision you make now, whether it's the embodied carbon in the in the technology that you're that, that we're making or people are using, whether it's how your company operates, um, how your company travels, how your company conducts their meetings, how they conduct, conduct their events. Carbon just has to be considered in everything. Yeah, how things are transported, where you buy them from and how they're made. You know, I mean, we, we know like in, in things like the clothing industry, it's been quite controversial about how certain products have been made in certain parts of the world that are then sold in the UK. And companies are looking at that going, hang on a second, we shouldn't be doing that anymore. So... You're right. I think carbon with a massive capital C is is kind of the biggest thing that we need to be addressing, really. Absolutely. And we manufacture in Scotland ourselves. So, 
you know, with that UK manufacturer, but the challenges we've had is some of those components come in from 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 different countries, and and it's now about securing a supply chain into the factory that's very close to the factory, and it's in the UK. Yeah, I mean, now you start, you're starting to talk about globalization, and we do live in a global world, and and that is just the reality. You know, there are components that are made in in other parts of the world that we don't make here. Mm. Um, other places might make them cheaper, and and at the end of the day. All of this technology, whatever we're talking about, has to become more affordable for more people to take it on board. And, and yeah, obviously, I think every country in the world would love to say we can make everything at home in our country and not have to import so many products. That's that's just not the reality of a globalized world. It's just not going to work like that anymore, to be honest. So I don't think we should beat ourselves up about important components. <laughs> I think that's the way it's going to yeah. be. And that's we do live in a global supply chain world. I think it's just about it being done in an ethical way and a low carbon way. And I say low carbon on purpose because I think to become zero carbon is going to be a lot harder than we think. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we've kind of plucked it, and it really has been plucked, you know, the kind of year of 2050 to become zero carbon. And I think, hang on a minute, who's who's even come up with that? And everybody's jumped on that bandwagon. Everybody has. Nearly every country has, has signed up to be zero carbon by 2050. Brilliant. But I'm not sure if there's like a super clear path about how we're going to get there. I mean, for me, just being very, very low carbon would still be a revolutionary change. Well, I think the term, I mean, Martin, we're into your field of expertise here, but I think the term net zero carbon yes. is, is more is more the aspect. So yeah. being zero carbon, I think you're right, is, is incredibly difficult to achieve. But net zero and... Yeah, the definition is, is, is net zero because, as you quite rightly say, George, we'll, we'll still have to consume something will still create some form of waste so the the intention and and it's mid-century is what's been picked don't ask me where that that necessarily came from but that's the the un mechanisms that talk about these things and furthermore i mean 2050 may seem like a long long way away but 2030 is round the corner and and we should be halfway there by 2030 so that's a that's a uh, that focuses the mind as to where we where we need to be. So it, it's both things happening in parallel. So we have to drive down our energy consumption in every aspect, everything that all of you have spoke about so far, what we eat, how we travel, where we go, what we consume to generate heat, which is pertinent to today. And then when that meets that growing line of renewable generation and stopping burning stuff we have to get away from burning stuff to uh, generate our energy needs when they meet and we still have you know a residual amount of emissions we offset those emissions then and then that's why we're net zero in that in that balance that's the way to see it so the aspiration of total zero wonderful yeah uh, like you said, I'd settle for net zero, I'd settle for near net zero. But, and you're right, you used a word that we often use, which is a journey. We're all on that journey. We're a company doing a certain thing of a certain size. But it's countries, companies and citizens is the way I look at it. We've all all got our part to play. Absolutely. And I, I left the um, the COP events in Glasgow with a clear understanding that you know, there's a, there's a – there's a goal. We all understand the goal. There's a journey for us all to go on to get there. Um, but I left with a with a clear view that it's very much the companies that are going to have to go out, innovate, um, invest, 
and create those options for the rest of us as citizens to make Yeah, you've just made me think about something very bizarre, actually. Um, We're not talking about housing for a couple of seconds, but there was a brilliant programme made by Stephen Fry, and it was about the 100 best inventions or Mm. or his top 100 favourite products that were ever made. And it was fascinating. Actually, it was great to watch. It was everything from, you know, the Swiss Army knife down to the biro pen, Mm -hmm. you know, because obviously we went from kind of quills and Mm. calligraphy and fountain pens to having this biro pen, which was this amazing thing. Uh, Looking back, it's quite a disposable thing, so Mm -hmm. it's not particularly green. But his number one choice at the very end, and I hadn't really thought about it, I was trying to guess what it would be, and it was fire. He actually got out a lighter from his pocket and he just said the discovery of fire and us being able to burn stuff and heat stuff is probably the great discovery. And actually, you've just said the thing that we need to stop doing now is burning yeah, stuff. We do. And it's kind of the polar opposite. And that was a programme that he made probably, I don't I'm guessing now, maybe it's about eight or ten years ago. I can't quite remember. Um, and I think the celebration of burning stuff probably wouldn't happen if he made the same programme today. It's still an amazing invention. Yeah. It is fantastic. And it, is, it was about burning stuff and then harnessing power from mm-hmm. heat. And we're now thinking about, and Mitsubishi are thinking about, how you do that in a very different way. I just wanted to pick up on, on one of your other um, points as well, George, which is this this scale of change. And we have been through this scale of change before. When we discovered this relative bounty of this natural gas source off our own coast, you know, what could we do with that? We needed to get it to everybody to, for it to become a, a usable product. And that's what we did. You know, the, the, the country, industry, everybody buckled down and did that because we were all burning solid um, fuels at the time to generate our heat needs at the time. And now we have a 5,000-mile-plus gas network, 23 million homes. At the, at the time, connected, at the time, that must have seemed like, the, you know, a Herculean task. of How are we going to get this resource to these people and, and make it usable? And that's the way I see it now, we, is that we're, we're, we're moving in that different direction now of stopping burning that. That got us a certain way. But we need to move move away from that now and have that 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 joint effort you know with a, a product that's applicable today that can make a difference and uh, and we've done it before yeah and uh, i mean coming back to scotland um the level of innovation there is quite amazing actually you know mm-hmm. there, are, there are big conversational changes in scotland about how we build stuff how we manufacture stuff how we build houses how we make houses mm-hmm. um i've been involved quite heavily with kind of putting together modular house building companies who have come together really collaborated so rather than battling against each other and kind of doing their own little bits of r&d and trying to hold on to it really sharing information about how we can manufacture homes in a different way and in a greener way and I think on a on a really obvious level with Scotland it's it's a very green country you know you go out there it's it's beautiful I mean I'm love I'm one of the biggest fans of Scotland obviously I'm a northeast lad close to the Scottish border but I'd go to Scotland an awful lot when I was younger and it's it's a beautiful place you know and with its locks and its mountains and it's very very green in some ways I think it's lucky it's got a relatively low population compared to England you know, you've got less people there I suppose there's less demand um, for, for that many houses to be built there's still a big demand by the way because we mm. still need lots of housing but I think it's 
there's just something in the psyche of of the Scots. I think it just comes from their landscape and what they're surrounded by to say, you know, it is the right thing for us to be as green as possible. One thing I want to get to talk about was one of the, the common topics that come up now, and it came up in one of our one of our previous podcasts, was embodied carbon. And I know, Mark, Matthew, uh, Martin, you've been involved in an embodied yes. carbon project with, with us. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, certainly. Um, well, as, as a business, and in my, I'm the same as you, at the 18 years I've spent here, We've always focused and always been asked to focus on the operational phase of a piece of equipment or a total solutions life. So the, you know, it, it's ownership phase, uh, it's usage, the energy it uses as compared with other things. That's operational. Now, that operational phase, and, and you'll have a view on this as well, so when, we, when I've finished, is, um, is, is shrinking. Our equipment's getting more efficient. Homes are getting more efficient. We need to refurbish. I know we're not talking about refurbishing, but we need to refurbish the existing stock so that less energy is needed in that operational phase. And then what? where the focus now is shifting and what I've, as you referred to, made a, uh, put a lot of effort into is the embodied elements of that. And that's the whole, the whole finished thing. So in this instance, a home. What is the embodied impact of that home as built, as it sits there? All the materials that are in that home. And those materials include the materials that are in our equipment. Mm-hmm. And we have long upstream um, supply chains of all, all the items that we've already mentioned that are flowing to a single factory where we make and, uh, a finished item. And then there's all the downstream impacts of delivering that item fitting that fitting it and ultimately how you handle it at the end of its life so we've put a lot of effort into that embodied phase and we've got a lot of information that available now uh, available to the market on our digital library Mm -hmm. which looks at all of those individual elements of embodied impacts Uh, and i know there's other Mm -hmm. others doing that on the material side of things, which is not our side of things. So maybe you've got some thoughts on that. Kind of picking up on that from your perspective, Martin, we've looked at the operational carbon. That's almost the easy one. You know, it's complicated, but it's easier win than the embodied carbon element of it. We've calculated, you know, from a single house perspective, exactly all the elements that go into that, the materials, the, you know, digital database of information that you've got. So we can take that prescriptiveness and put that into our you know, overall embodied carbon tool. And what what we've just embarked on is a, is a journey down in England of going to timber frame, which has actually reduced their embodied carbon by over 20% per property, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, obviously, we've been doing that for a long time in Scotland and there was a bit of a, a stigma attached to building timber kit in England. Um, hopefully, we're now past that. Um, but we're looking at the, the, the full embodied carbon element. The unfortunate thing is because we're so focused on operational um, carbon at the moment, the embodied materials hasn't innovated quite as quickly and therefore they're actually quite heavily um, carbon orientated so that you're reducing your operational carbon. But in order to reduce your operational carbon, you're adding more thermal materials into the house. Therefore, you're overall carbon footprint is not reducing or potentially going higher than where we would like it to be at this point but this is part of the journey that we're on and I think George you mentioned earlier you know the collaboration part of it in 25 years of being in the house building industry the last five years has really been 
very eye-opening for me that, you know, I can pick up the phone to my competitor, you know, um, in a similar position and have an open and honest conversation. Indeed, myself and my team, we host once every sort of three three months, you know, with 16 to 20 of the, the main UK developers across, the, you know, across the, the country to have that open and honest conversation about, you know, how, how's SAP working for you? What can we do? What can we pull together as a as a an industry to push back to the governments to actually say, look, we know you want this, but in order to achieve that, if you do the small steps, we'll get there. But you can't just flip the switch because we're not ready for it at this point in time. We're not scaled up enough. We don't have the skills. We don't have the education. We don't have the training. And indeed, we've probably not got the the the, the supply chain you know, uh, ready just to make that switch. But if we do it in a steady, stepped manner, then we can all achieve that goal and probably get there quicker than almost grinding industry to halt at this point and then kicking forward from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be, it's interesting in some ways because I think it's like any industry when there's a major change happening and there's certain companies that will get left behind because, and, and it's just one of the, the things about business because they're set up in a certain way, they've got supply chains in a certain way. To actually change quickly is really difficult, especially mm. if a company's been around for a hundred years and generally build things in the same way. Mm. And then you'll get the innovative disruptors, the people who come in really quickly, who in some ways haven't got that baggage. It, it, it's tragic, really, because mm. some of the new innovative disruptors haven't got all the experience and all the knowledge that's been there in a the company for many years. In some ways, that's just evolution of any industry, Absolutely. to be honest with you. Yeah. It really is. But yeah, just coming back to what Stephen was saying, I think, you know, going down the timber frame route, I mean, Scotland have been doing timber frame houses for quite some time, actually, and yeah. doing them very, very, very well. And, and when I look at kind of some Scottish architecture, domestic architecture, it reminds me of Norway and Sweden and Finland. You know, in some ways they feel like they've got similar kind of climates, you know, very green, lots of fantastic forests, uh, replenishing those forests as well at a really good rate, so in a very sustainable way. And I think... When you look at the architecture that's been built there, it, to me, it just feels greener mm. and it feels like it's more connected to the landscape. Mm. Whereas, you know, I go around parts of England and we're still using too much concrete. Mm. It's just an absolute fact. It, it is difficult to revert the timber, um, certainly at scale, but it's, ha- it's happening. I mean, it used to be difficult to get insurance for building a timber frame house because of potential fire risk when you were building a timber frame building on site. You know, there was a lot of arson attacks and things like that. You fi- you literally couldn't get insured sometimes to be able to do it. Mm. That shifted and changed. You know, looking at kind of high-rise buildings being made out of timber. Well, that conversation wasn't happening <laughs> 10 years ago. You know, a high-rise building made out of timber. People would be like, hang on a minute, that would be an enormous fire risk. That's going to feel even more poignant after something like Grenfell as well. And mm. so it is changing that mindset where people go, well, actually, no, we can do this. You know, structurally, we can do it from an engineering point of view. We can build new build apartments in timber frame at 18, 20, 24 stories high. Structurally, mm. we can do it and we can fireproof it so that it's very, very safe. Mm. Now, even for me as an architect, that's a that's a big shift in your head about how you do stuff because we've been so used to seeing high-rise buildings built out of this mm. super strong fireproof material called mm-hmm. concrete. Mm-hmm. But even that's starting to change. I mean, I don't know if you know about graphene. Graphene's a kind of a new material that's been that's been developed, particularly at universities in Manchester, where your graphene is a, 
in some way it's more fire resistant and stronger than concrete or steel. Um, and it's got, it's got kind of less carbon in it as well. So we've got this wonderful material technology that developments happening in universities and within companies to kind of make that, that change and difference. And I think that's, I find that really exciting. You know, when Stephen mentioned about education as well, I think you've got young people coming through. I mean, as you know, I've got an educational charity called Moby, which is all about inspiring you know, young kids to get excited about home innovation and home design. Um, Stephen might like this, actually. We launched a, a scheme with young kids up in Scotland recently, and uh, our Scottish chair, he was allowed to say this, not me, he called it McMorby, because we <laughs> launched it in Scotland for the first time. Um, hope that doesn't offend anybody. But uh, it, it was brilliant, because you're seeing young kids really engage with the idea of homes being built, manufactured, possibly, recycled in a very different way you know thinking about a circular economy of how we use materials and we design houses rather than it just being a linear economy where we use materials burn stuff and then don't and we haven't really worked out how to get rid of them where i think with the circular economy now it, it's that's about design that's that's about r&d at the very beginning of saying how can we how can we design something differently so that we can plan for how it's going to be recycled or reused or repurposed in 60 70 80 150 years time yeah, one of one of the projects I remember seeing when I was up at the um, COP event was in Holland, and it was uh, a motorway bridge, and it was completely made out of cross laminated timber. Yeah, that's amazing. And it could be uh, with a view that if the motorway changed or they had a different view of it in the future, they could unbolt it and put it somewhere else, or even bolt it in a different configuration into something else yeah. you know it doesn't have to be a bridge absolutely and, that, and and that's really exciting i think those that different mindset that everybody's beginning to have and and companies are at different stages you know i'm sure if you had this conversation with a concrete manufacturer the manufacturer they'd be saying well we're trying to be as green as possible but it's still difficult for them to change mm -hmm. um go to a steel manufacturer you're gonna you know there's a there's a hell of a lot of heat and a hell of a lot of carbon that's needed to make steel. But, you know, we still need steel quite often under the building regulations to make a building strong enough. So it is that period of transition. But it's if you want to go to the more extreme version of, of eco-materials, there's a whole conversation happening now about bio-architecture, you know, about using materials that are genuinely from nature and how we can use them in a different way. I mean, there's research being done in America, which is starting to affect R&D in the UK. I mean, some of it might sound absolutely nuts for a podcast like this, where there's an amazing woman called Neri Oxman, and she's obsessed by building structures out of you know, absolute natural materials. And I'm not talking about timber, I'm talking things like prawn shells, right? I mean, uh, yeah, they're going to think I'm a lunatic today, talking about how you might be able to build houses from prawn shells. I mean, it's, it's crazy stuff, but what it's... On one level, it's not, because you could say that's quite off the wall. Back in the day, people would have said that was quite hippie. Mm -hmm. You know, you, oh, you've been eco, you've been a bit hippie, it's all a bit lefty. Well, actually, it's about science. And and when you look at Mother Nature and the natural world, it's, it's you know, I've said this to you to before, so that, you know, for me, Mother Nature is one of the best architects because she she can design ecosystems that work in harmony. And actually what we're talking about doing is building houses and housing estates that work in harmony and on every single level. You know, Prince Charles published a book on housing development called Harmony, and he used that word on purpose because, you know, everything has to work as an ecosystem and, and it needs to be a balance. 
and that's why when we come back to the net zero yes. comment, that's about balancing out, isn't yeah. it? We might have to use a bit of carbon, mm -hmm. we will use a bit of carbon, but how do we balance that out yeah. to create an economy and an ecology of house building that is balanced? You know, that works for the environment and works for us as a human race, really. I'm not saying we should build prone shell houses, by the way. That's a bit... <laughs> That's enough. To know, but she, but she's actually developing structures. She, yeah. I mean, it sounds bonkers, but she's like, she's growing structures. Mm. And you kind of think, well, hang on, that's not such a crazy idea. We grow trees, which are structural elements. You know, why why can't we, why can't we grow stuff and grow materials in a certain way that are truly green mm. rather than just being manufactured? We can have a prawn shell. Eco unit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the we, might up, we might end up getting those conversations of like Roy <laughs> Keane criticising prawn sandwiches at Old Trafford. I'm going to get myself in all sorts of trouble. The, but example, the net zero in Scotland is is a 2045 target, of course. Yeah. I mean, and that that's a yeah, that's, that's true. Um, that's not 2050. No, that's yeah. an understanding of your relative, you know, natural bounty, if you like, of mm -hmm. what's available to you, but also what your where you are on that on that cycle. So. Yeah. Mitsubishi Electric's Ecodan air source heat pump switch from fossil fuels like oil, LPG and storage heaters to clean, renewable home heating. Visit ecodan.co.uk for more information. Steve, what about your customers, Carla Homes customers? What, what kind of feedback are you getting from them about net zero and about the way you're building houses and what are they looking for from you? There's been quite a shift change in the last sort of three, four years more predominantly. We are looking at a, a brand new house type range and as part of that we've done some consumer research if you like um, and part of that consumer research is you know asking the question about renewables because people currently are looking at electricity going look at the cost of electricity but that's all I'm getting in my new house. But when you explain to them that you've brought the thermal fabric of it, you know, much, much made it much more onerous. Therefore, your heat loss is much less. Therefore, your demand to your heating is much less. Then your costs will, you know, come down essentially. Um, it's it's that education process to our customers, but much more of them are looking at it as a a must have in their their house types moving forward. So you know, your PV panels, your battery storage, your thermal storage. They're looking at some form of renewable technology to help balance some of the inequality over the cost of the energy at the moment. Mm. Um, we've also got to watch. Sorry, we've no, also got to watch that by bringing the thermal values down and bringing the heat losses down, that we don't make the buildings too hot, mm. which almost comes back to the heat pump scenario of being able to reverse engineer that to the air conditioning type of unit. So you want heat in the winter, but you want cold in the, the summer months. Mm -hmm. And we're getting to that point where we're, we're almost there fabric-wise. The next five, ten years, we're going to be at that point where we've got to provide cooling as well as heating. Um, and that's the, the next kind of step change that I see kind of coming forward. Mm -hmm. And that's that's also about balance because, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about global warming and temperatures rising. You know, in, in Scotland, just like the northeast of England, it's not often we have conversations about overheating in buildings, not with the, you know, the climate that we've got up north, mm -hmm. but you know, that is going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, we are going to have to adapt for that as well. I think there's also the issue of kind of how we build stuff in the UK because it's like... I don't know, it's like the Henry Ford thing, you know, if he, if he asked customers what they would want back in the day before he invented the car, they wanted a faster horse. You know, no one would have come up with a car. I think in some ways the, the, the larger house builders have to just do it. Mm. 
you know, and, and customers will go along with that journey if they realise that it's going to be a long-term benefit to them. I genuinely believe that. I think it's as these, as these houses become greener and more standard and more normal, which is what they should be, they don't become, oh, we're going to buy an eco house somewhere. You know, mm. it's rather than buying an ordinary house and an eco house. We all want there to be it's eco just houses. A house. Every single one yeah. of them, it's a house. It's yeah. just a very green yeah. one. Um, but the, so I think in some ways, I think the, the, Big house builders or, or medium to large house builders have got a kind of responsibility to do that. I think as an industry, we've got a responsibility to do that. And I think the industry wants to do that, in fairness. I, I think there's not that many house builders out there that don't want to be green because they know that's what their consumers are going to want at some point. But an interesting thing to talk about, particularly with Scotland, are self-builders. Because I think you've, you've actually got a, a, a good proportion of self-builders in Scotland compared to England. England's relatively low in terms of self-built numbers compared to Scotland per capita. And the self-builder will always go the extra mile with, with the specification of insulation and looking at newer technologies. They'll, they'll always spend that bit more money because it's their house that mm-hmm. they're building for them. And so I think that's a slightly different market, but I think it's quite an exciting one. And if if more land becomes available for self-builders, I think we might become even greener quicker. It's interesting because when I was asking about what customers are looking for, because where are we on that with customers expecting to see something in a new house? I expect to see this technology. I expect this or or this is what I want. And this is why I'm going to buy a home from you and, and, not, and not this developer. And I think a couple of points I wanted to make was, you know, we, we have a policy of we're taking on 10 graduates every year. And um, interestingly, when, the, when you ask the graduates, you know, why, why are you here today? Why are you getting involved in this? And it's, uh, it's sustainability. They recognise us as the, as the as spearheading sustainability. And it's that's the companies that they want to work for because they know that we can make the difference. Or Sorry, they can make the difference by doing that. Um, so I was, I was interested to see where the average house builder was, a house buyer was on that. You know, I, I I expect to see a heat pump. I expect to see photovoltaics. There's definitely an expectation there now that there should be something. And indeed, you know, on larger developments that we started maybe three, four years ago that might have another three, four years to go, how do you explain to that client who's moving in in three years' time, actually, we know it's off gas, but this development was started at a point in time, so we need to finish that development. And it's that understanding of that transitionary phase, if you like, um, but it is becoming increasingly more and more difficult and we need to look and embrace that change moving forward. And I think from Cala as a, as a business, we've done that from 2015, you know, in various guises, looking at that differences. Um, we, we also take on graduates, you know, every year um, and their focus is more on sustainability mm-hmm. and what they can do for our business, you know, coming forward with their, their, their bright ideas mm-hmm. and such like. And indeed, we, you know, we've got a... a um, a sort of feedback portal within Cala, bright ideas. Mm. You know, so anybody within the business can feed that in. It goes direct to a, a committee that, that our chief exec, you know, kind of sponsors. Um, and these ideas come forward. You know, indeed, we're, you know, challenging everybody on biodiversity at the moment. Mm-hmm. I spoke to a landscaping contractor about what species that we can put in that actually captures more carbon than maybe what we have done in the past. Mm. If you'd have asked me five years ago, would I be sitting down with a landscaper asking what landscaping goes into a development that captures carbon? I would have thought you were nuts. And just out of interest, <laughs> did did they know? Did, yes. Is that something they knew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We've, we've now written a, a kind of a landscaping policy mm-hmm. that incorporates that into it to, to help with our kind of overall net 
uh, gained biodiversity. So when George says, uh, uh, and that's our experience as well, is when um, people are engaged in building their own home, they're very much, you know, they, they go to that nth degree. They don't fit, they don't burn stuff to generate heat, that's for sure, that's not our experience. But is that your experience then, just picking up on Russell's point, that is your, your more regular house builder becoming more aware, even, dare I say, more demanding? Yes, yeah. More yeah. definitely. And I, I can say that with two hats on because I'm a self-builder as well. Um, okay. I built my own house. Yeah, um, and it's, and it's like, there's a word that was used before by Stephen was about everybody being honest about where they are and what mm. we're doing. And, and I think that honesty is really, really important because, you know, with, in the past, I think there's been companies who've claimed to be green and, and possibly not been. At the end of the day, building a greener building with that new technology and high levels of insulation with solar panels, with air source heat pumps, it costs more money. Mm. It, it's just an absolute fact, you know, and and that's quite a tough balance again to strike in a, in a tough commercial market, I think, for some house builders and also for people who are worried about taking on too much debt. And that, for me, needs a big cultural shift as well as potentially looking at new financial models of how we buy houses. In fairness, there's whisperings from the government about being able to do that. So quite often there's conversations about having a you know, 25-year mortgage with your bank. Everyone knows about 20, 25-year mortgages. There's now conversations about potentially 50-year mortgages. Mm. That's going to do a number of things. That's going to allow people to pay a bit more for a house. Now, that's controversial mm -hmm. because people don't want to spend more money on their houses, which already feel quite unaffordable. But... If they're going to have all this new stuff in them and this new green stuff, it's a fact it's going to cost more money. Mm. So we need to work out how that's going to be funded. The other good thing about that route is it will make housing, hopefully, more affordable mm. for younger people. And we've talked a lot about generational change and younger people having a different conversation about being green. But they feel quite alienated at the minute. They don't think home ownership is an option for them, for quite a lot of them. Mm. And you know, You've got your generation rents. Where, the, where people could potentially be moved on every year or two years. They feel like they can't really have an impact on their rental property because the landlords won't let them do things. I mean, some landlords won't even let you paint a flat when you've taken it on. So I think that's why it's a much bigger conversation about affordability and changing some of the financial structures and some of the very traditional ways that we've had about funding the purchasing of housing to do it in a different way to work for the green economy and to work for young people. You'd ask the question, Russell, you know, from the customer's perspective and some of the, the, the consumer engagement pieces that we've done more recently, there was over 50% actually said they would pay more for a house with renewables on it because they were looking at, well, yes, the, the initial purchase is higher, but my monthly outgoing should be lower. Mm -hmm. There will be with a new house because of the thermal fabric and such like, but if you've got renewable technologies on there, you know, if you've got photovoltaics, battery storage and air source heat pump, the, the actual monthly outgoing costs for services and utilities is going to be less. So monthly-wise, they could actually be better off, but they've bought a dealer property. Yeah, and the you know the cost of living crisis is just absolutely dominating every single newspaper and media outlet at the minute. You know, it's going to be it's quite a frightening time, I think, for people over the next few years with energy costs spiralling. So I do think people want to take a, a long-term approach, even though there's a short-term massive problem, people are still taking a long-term view on that, I think, when it comes to buying a house. It, what you say there is analogous to the um, embodied carbon um, discussion that we had a little bit earlier, which is, you know, you, you, you can't make a, a heat pump and a, a cylinder that's suitable for that heat pump and the other the other items that you need 
for the same embodied impact of your conventional wool-hung boiler at the moment, you know, which is a, a, yeah. a lighter piece of equipment by, uh, by virtue. But the, the, the way we show it is, yeah, you invest in that embodied element a bit more at this end, but your lifetime benefit stretches out into the future and that's exactly what you're talking about yeah. you know there's and and you george which is more of an investment at this end and you gain through its entire life I yeah mean, and how, how long does a home expected to be there i don't know 60 well, 100 years i don't know i mean ideally if the house was there for 150 years it <laughs> yep. would be a pretty green building yep. to be honest with you because if you've got to demolish and, and recycle a building after 60 or 70 you can mm. argue it's not as green as it mm. possibly should be but i th- I mean, the two words that have jumped out for me from from this chat is kind of collaboration and education, really. And I think education doesn't isn't just about educating young people and inspiring them, which is what I do at Morby, but it's kind of re-educating people in the industry and and changing mindsets. And I mean, we know Russ; we've had this chat many times before. Like, there's still a lot of people out there who don't know what a air source heat pump is mm-hmm. and and how it really works and. As a company, Mitsubishi Ecodan, Mitsubishi Electric Ecodan are trying to educate lots of people to say, this is how the technology works. Don't be scared by it. It's a, it's a fantastic opportunity. So I think the collaborate, educate is is fundamental to, yep. I think, everything that we're Great. talking about today. It's interesting because I have been doing this for so long, and you, you have as well, Martin. Early days, always had to explain what a, what a heat pump was, and now... Not so much, you know, when, mm. if I've travelled, if I've gone to a conference, if I'm on holiday, uh, if I've met someone new, it, they know what a heat pump is. Um, Which is great. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it, really has, it really has snowballed yeah. in that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's taught, uh, I said to someone only yesterday, when it's talked about on breakfast TV, you know something's changed, don't you, where they're saying, mm. you know, heat pumps. Let's discuss, you know. Yeah, well, it's, uh, that's that's as long as the reporters are talking about it in the right way. There was a whole feature Absolutely. on SLC heat pumps done on a particular radio program at one point, and I was shouting at the radio because it just, you know, it made it sound like it was staggeringly unaffordable to mm. people. And I was like, hang on a minute, that's just not true. I think I think a lot of those pieces, and, and, and I've been asked to do certain things, but a lot of those pieces are not about heat pump technology. They're about disagreeing with government strategy just to, just <laughs> yeah, to get some true. clickbait. It's yeah. not actually looking at a solution. Yeah, but. We try and avoid engaging in that, yeah. Just to go a little bit back, one thing I would have wanted to go back to was you were talking about fire and, you know, we're talking about we don't burn stuff anymore. But for me, that that capturing fire is, is, is yeah, we burn stuff, but that, that was capturing energy mm-hmm. and us controlling energy. And, that, and that's essentially what a heat pump's doing is we're moving mm-hmm. energy around from, from one area to the other. And then we talked earlier about um, cooling and buildings overheating. And that's going to take us to a new phase now of do we air condition the modern home to keep it cool because uh, it, it's possibly overheating? And there are solutions there. I mean, we've we've never pushed uh, residential air conditioning in that in that area because of we were always focused on CO two savings and, and and heat pumps for for heating and, and reducing carbon. But with that aspect or with that technology that just moves energy around, while you're air conditioning in a building, you're actually just simply removing the energy. Now, we could be taking that energy and putting it somewhere else. So, And we do, we, of course, yeah. commercially more, but it, it's taking that technology and looking at it more on a maybe on a domestic scale. When I, when I speak to complete lay people about a, a, a heat pump, you know, you can always do it in three 
just three squares on a piece of paper. You've got a source of heat over here. That could be naturally occurring, and that's what we're talking about with um, products such as Ecodam. But it could be a waste in it, a heat stream. It could be heat off a data center. It could be you know off of some other industrial process. And then over here, you've got a demand for heat, hot water, space heating, and the country has a very high demand for heat. The technology that links that source and sink, as it's known, is a heat pump. A big one, a small one, an air source one, a water source one, you know, an industrial one, a domestic one. But that's what that's what it that's the technology that makes that bridges those two sources and sinks. Committee on Climate Change know this. That's why they've built that into their advice to government, and government are accepting that now, saying we need six hundred thousand a year of these in by twenty twenty four. 25? Mm-hmm. Well, that's around the corner. We're talking 2050, 2030. In, the, in your sort of time frames, 2024 is ran, literally around the corner, I imagine, yeah. on the project. Well, we're on developments that are going to go beyond that yeah. currently and, you know, any new developments. That's why, you know, Cal as a business took that opportunity to go, you know, we're going ahead of regulation, you know, mm. a little bit ahead of regulation in Scotland, but a lot ahead in terms of England. You mm. know, it's a, it's a UK strategy is what we've, we've kind of brought forward. So, Let's say first of January twenty twenty four is any new development will be off gas. Mm. Um, I do caveat that with the infrastructure issues that we've got because we've got to identify what they are at the outset. Hence the reason getting involved with energy companies to try and understand what they can do, and you know the earlier insight that they get to these things coming forward, the better. And I think it's maybe been lacking more from uh, local government to these bigger power companies that actually what is the demand going to be. You know, yes, they've talked about it, but what actually is the demand? What is the uptake going to be on these things? And I think that's where they're almost on the back foot. But they are making, you know, leaps and bounds to try and get to where we want to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a, we hit 25, everything's off gas. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go down the retrofit route too much because we're talking about new builds. But I think all the conversations that we're talking about, about new builds, insulation standards, double glazing, being off gas, using air source heat pumps. I was going to say it's easy. It's not easy at all. (laughs) It's relative. But it's much easier than the retrofit challenge. When you think about we've got some of the oldest housing stock in Europe, you know, so many of them have got gas boilers. So many of them don't have any insulation at all. So many of them still don't even have double glazing in. And that, for me, is kind of the bigger challenge that the country faces. Mm-hmm. New build is a big challenge. There's no doubt about it. And it's really, really important. But you could argue that you know, with the changes in the building regulations that have happened now, that's pretty good standard. Personally, I'd love to see it higher. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see it much higher. And I think when you look at other countries in Europe, particularly Scandinavian countries, they've got higher building regs than, than we've got. Um some developers here would embrace higher building regulations and some others would push back on it because they'd be worried about how difficult that would be to achieve. But that's new build is moving in the right direction. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And even new build that was built 10, 15 years ago is still infinitely better, so much better than a lot of the old existing housing stock that we've got in the UK. Yeah. So it's the it's the retrofit challenge that worries me more because we've got more of it. We've got lots and lots and lots of stock which is very, very old and poorly insulated. Certainly, you know, look, new build is complicated, but it is the low-hanging fruit of the carbon carbon economy of, of say. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does kind of set a little bit of the blueprint 
you know, of what we would like to achieve in terms of retrofit. And you've got to remember that new build developments, most new build developments are caveated with a 25% affordable housing policy. Mm. So they're, you know, for every 100 private houses, you know, there's 25 affordable within that. So there's a, a replacement programme going on for some of these, you know, old tenement buildings and such like that, in theory, really just need kind of pulled down and rebuilt, you know, to, to newer, higher fabric. So it's not going to completely change, you know, but at least there's something happening there that's got, you know, a, a little bit more um, on the retro side of things, you know, to, to actually remove that and, and, and replace it with new stock. Um, but the amount of retrofit that's out there, I agree, that's a bigger problem. New build is a blank page. It's difficult, but we can manage that difficulty and it will become more norm moving forward as we embrace the technologies and and where we're going to build, how we're going to build. And, you know, I, I said it earlier that there's not one solution that's going to fit every scenario. You know, Scotland's a big place. It's got many hills and, and, and many coasts. So we've got to adapt how we build to suit that, yeah. which is a completely different challenge to new build than it's ever been before. Um, and that's why we set up these kind of peer-to-peer meetings with uh, you know other developers to to have that conversations and and everybody that sits around there is is really coming to the table and being collaborative about it, which is something I've never really experienced before, which I think is fantastic. You know, you take that out. We we mentioned concrete manufacturers. We're engaging with them. They're now putting fibre in rather than steel. You know, it's a step in the right direction. We still build with far too much concrete and, you know, we're looking at how we adapt to that. But, you know, moving forward, is it going to be more SIPs panels reducing the the, the embodied carbon element of the bricks on the outer leaf and putting cladding on? You know, there's there's lots of different kind of solutions out there, but it's been able to tackle them at the right time and in the right quantity. You know, if you go too early, you get stung by the cost of going too early. If you go too late, you get stung because you've gone too late. It's it's just trying to find that balance. Yeah. And find a balance with your consumers. You know, there's a there's still a preconception in this country that every building needs to be built out of brick or stone mm. all the time. And if you talk about any other material, they go, Oh, how long is it gonna last for? And they get worried about it. So again, it's that change in the mindset of everyone, I think. I think it's fair to talk about the refurbishment as part of this um, this discussion because of the scale of uh, of the issue. But if we're talking future homes Lots of those are going to be there in the future, and that's what we're well, that's what we're talking about. Well, the, the, I mean, the, the, the figures that I've seen, I don't know if they're true, but you know, eighty percent of all yeah. the buildings that we've got today will still be using in twenty fifty. Yeah, that's, that's a big figure. That, we use, yeah. that is a big, mm-hmm. big, big. I mean, that's all forms of building. Of to course, be honest, that's yeah. not just housing, but that's yeah, you know, it's a big number, and we've got to address that. And I know today is very much about housing, but you look at the targets being set for offices and commercial buildings and shops. It's you know, there's a big change that needs to happen in terms of how we not just build new, but retrofit the old. And, and to be fair, we've got to take ignition to that as well. You know, yes, we build new build houses, but we've got offices, we've got sub-offices, we've got head office. You know, we've still got that element to take control of as well. So when we're looking at carbon, you know, you're talking scopes one, two and three. We've got to look at it for our whole business. Yeah, and vehicles and how you get to work exactly. and how materials get to site. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely spot on. And that's that's why carbon needs to be considered in everything. You know, even though you're focusing on your products as being carbon efficient, everything you do has to then match what you're doing. We're exactly the same. It's always fo- we always be focused on our, on our technology and our, on, our, on our box, if you like. And now it encompasses everything. Yeah, we're increasingly, rightly so, asked, well, well what are you doing? What's your own... Uh, actions in this regard and footprint if we're going to work with you if we're going to work with us together 
uh, what's the journey that you're mm. on and how, how uh, it's back to that collaboration point that, uh, that he's saying as well, which is, you know, we've, we've got, our, luckily enough, I suppose, we've got answers for most of those questions, but we certainly haven't got them all by any stretch. My policy is to be quite honest with that sort of thing and, and, and we get 40-page pre-qualification questionnaires coming through and if we genuinely haven't got an answer or we haven't embarked on that journey yet, you know, some of our team might be a little bit squirmy about that. And I said, no, let's be honest about it because that company is trying to understand what's the situation in their supply chain. We're in their supply chain. So we need to be honest. If we're ahead in some areas, of course, we'll highlight that. If we haven't embarked, even started in some areas, my policy is to say, actually, we haven't started looking at that yet. Absolutely. And when you get into that honest discussion with some, they go, yeah, and you're not the only one. We haven't looked at this, by the way, you know, and you, those are the sort of discussions that we're having yeah. with other heads of sustainability. Yeah. There's a few of us about, and we're having those discussions. Yeah, I don't think there's a single organisation or house builder no. that would say they were 100% perfect ever. No. You, you know, nothing, well, it's another word to add to the other two, isn't it? It's kind of honesty, be honest, collaborate and educate. Yeah. And, that, and I think that'll change the cultural shift that the industry needs really and, mm -hmm. and I think that's healthy I think that's great I think that's that's really good not just for the country hopefully it's good for business and and good for people because you know, at the end of the day this is about people isn't it you know all of us got to work I'm passionate about building houses Stephen's passionate mm -hmm. about building houses you guys are passionate about providing kit that are going to make those houses greener and we want the people who buy those houses to feel like they're living in a green home so you know, for, for us to be even having this discussion now is fantastic we wouldn't have had it 25 years ago just wouldn't have happened yeah, I mean, I just want to echo your thoughts there. I think you summed it up quite well earlier. He said what you were taking from there was was collaboration and not not one solution, not one silver bullet for this. It's sharing ideas. It's great to hear that, you know, house builders are communicating about what is it those great ideas are. Certainly, you know, technology providers are doing the same things. We have open forums at trade associations where we discuss the best, the best ways of doing things and moving forward. Um, probably... Time to start wrapping things up, but but Stephen, um, what do you think if you were to sum up your your big challenges moving forward for the next 10, 15 years? That's a big question to finish with. How long have I forgot? Pick the bones out of that one. We, we've probably discussed it in and around, to be honest. But I mean, for me, the biggest thing is the, the there's the education piece. You know, it comes back to the, the three words that we talked about. You know, the 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 education, the honesty, the collaboration. Um, but for us, it's it's the infrastructure, you know, having reliable, known infrastructure in place. Um, and we've got to take some responsibility for that as well and, and drive that forward. Hence the reason that I sit on, you know, these stakeholder panels with the energy companies and, and help to drive that through um, off-gem and such like as well. So, you know, they've got much more understanding now than they once did maybe five years ago of the requirements for new building. Indeed, from their side, that's the, the, the easy win for them because it's not in the ground yet um, but you know they need to understand where their power is coming from so that, that that for me is up there um, the the engagement piece you know customers our subcontractors our supply chains that's the the, the next big challenge is, is bringing everybody on on this journey and and it, it's such a wide-ranging topic of technologies um, you know fabrics 
the, the, the education process. You know, we, we, we host um, uh, local universities and, and, and I go in and set part of their curriculum for, you know, what does a, a sustainable home look like? And, and they've got wee projects that they go off and do and come back. And, and you know, it, it's these types of engagement at that early stage. And, you know, then we'll try and get them back in as graduates into our own business. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I don't think there's a, a, a an easy answer for it. Um, there's so many big ticket items out there, but if I was to pick the, the kind of the two, it's the education and it's the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I guess, in in honesty, uh, Martin, what do you think our biggest challenge is, is mm-hmm. for sustainability? Yep. So we're 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 part of a uh, of a global business. We're a manufacturer at heart. Um, so our uh, major challenge at the moment is is one of understanding and data gathering we've we're as has already been mentioned we're a company of 100 years old i I have no doubt that we'll be here in another 100 doing different things in different ways i'm sure um so we've laid out our long-term plan we know where we want to ideally be in 2015 2030 um and but we've used this word a lot today and i'm fond of it which is a journey we'll be on our own journey so I think the two things I would pick are, you know, us gaining a full understanding, looking in every corner to understand what our impacts are across those scopes, which every company is doing, big or small. And it's then um, applying that as we move forward and, and taking that discussion out upstream and downstream into our um, supply chains. We've got a certain sphere of influence. We're not you know, the be all and end all, but we've we've done some net zero road shows, for example, where we've looked at the slightly nuanced discussion regionally, you know, if you're in the West Midlands, if you're in London, if you're in Scotland, and we went to all of those areas. Um, so how do we take our knowledge and hopefully expertise in what we do and spread that and spread that wider? So those are the are, are the two broad things, I think, which is establishing where we are and how we're going to plot out into that longer term plan and then how can we use our our footprint our sphere of influence for some good and work with others on their journeys it's great it's great to hear that we're, we're on that journey it's great to hear some of the innovation c- coming from Carla Holmes some of some of those new ideas it's great to hear about, about our own company and those and those innovations and 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 that honesty really that we're bringing to the table and this is where we are I think, you know, the, the embodied carbon piece sums that up for me. This is exactly where we are with this. So I think, again, for today I'm taking from education, collaboration, but we, we are firmly on that journey and, and we're making good progress. There's challenges ahead, but I think there's, there's, there's a lot of solutions out there. So there you have it. Sustainable homes, building the future. A huge thanks to my guests, George, Stephen and Martin for coming on the show. Thank you for listening and please share, subscribe, rate and review Ikadan, Serious About Sustainability podcast. Until next time, goodbye.